You're listening to an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. What's up, Mob Talk Associates? Jimmy Naples here, Johnny Ciccatelli. We're the Steel Valley Syndicate, and we're here again for another episode of Youngstown Mob Talk. Today, we got a great episode. We have author Paul Hodos on in his book, The Steel City Mafia, Blood, Betrayal, and Pittsburgh's Last Dawn. But before we get to that, Johnny, uh, let's talk about our sponsors real quick. Uh, of course, Cut and Toast. They've been with us since the beginning. These guys are awesome. They're down in, uh, in in Struthers on 160 Lowellville Road. They've got so many good cigars and accessories. we got to go down there to Cut and Toast. they got a great lounge. We'll have a good cigar and uh, have a good time. And, and of course, we also got to shout out our, our other huge sponsor, Youngstown Tile. For spectacular flooring, go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. So a huge shout out to those guys. Thank you so much. We really do hope that you support our sponsors. That's what's able to, you know, kind of pay the bills for me and Jimmy to get us, us, you know, the time to do more content for you. We're, work, we're working on Vice Squad episodes. We're working on Mob Talk episodes. We've got live shows coming up. We've got a big one we're planning right now. Absolutely. Cannot wait for you guys to find out what we're working on and, and be able to, to, uh, to share that with you. Of course, we've got the Youngstown Mob Tour app. It'll be a big one for everybody. Um, we're just working on so many things. So again, that's why we thank our sponsors and, uh, you know, Jim, we got a special guest today. Like, as you mentioned, our, an author. Absolutely. We have, uh, Paul Hodos with us, Paul. Uh, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your day, um, to come share with us this, this great book that you wrote here, uh, steel city mafia blood betrayal and Pittsburgh's last on, uh, it comes out April 17th. Um, thanks for being with us. And, uh, Let's dive right into this because yep. I think this is going to be a, a pretty interesting topic. You know, a lot of ties, Youngstown and Pittsburgh. And yeah, welcome to Mob. Welcome to Youngstown Mob Talk, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm I'm a huge fan of you guys' uh, videos and uh, of your Facebook page, of course, too. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate it. And hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, join that Facebook group. We're almost up to 30,000 people. Uh, we'll pick somebody. We'll give them some cool merch. Um, one of our new our new members so you know definitely be our 30th thousandth member of the youngstown mob facebook group so uh lots of cool stuff on there but all right jim you know i'm gonna let you take the lead on this um you know it, for any I'll, I'll give a little bit of a background and then toss it to you here for anybody who's a newbie to the show um youngstown is right in between cleveland and pittsburgh so for many years it was controlled by different factions some from Cleveland, some from Pittsburgh. Eventually, uh, the Pittsburgh, La Cosa Nostra, the Pittsburgh family is in full control of Youngstown. Um, you know, by the 1980s, especially uh, 90s, you know, Youngstown belonged to Pittsburgh, you could say. So, you know, two made men from the Pittsburgh family, um, you know, that that's kind of the background going into this. And, uh, of course, Jim, you know, you know that well, uh, you know. Absolutely. Uh, the Pittsburgh the Pittsburgh crime family has always been kind of near and dear to my heart, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Uh, you know, but a lot of fascinating stuff. I mean, of course, you know, in, in the Pittsburgh organized crime circles, I mean, there's ties all the way to old man Rooney, you know. Um, and I'm sure Paul can attest to that. You know, uh, yep. one time he controlled uh, the type of slot machines that were allowed to come into the Pittsburgh area. You know, I, I always, I always, uh, always wondered why you were a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. <laughs> hey, the ties run deep. What can I say? 
So, Paul, let's get into this real quick. Uh, sure. So talk to us. We got so chapter one of your book, you talk about the early history of the family. Tell us a little bit about that research, you know, that you that you found. Tell us some interesting stuff. Sure things. Uh, so uh, let me first start out by saying that the the book is mainly focused on sort of like the the more modern history of Cosa Nostra in the Pittsburgh area and in Ohio and in West Virginia, too. Um, it is. Uh, you know, the main part of the story happens late seventies to the end of the family in the two thousands. Um, so that's where I focus, but obviously a lot of the players got their start way before then. And it was also necessary to tell, uh, the early history of the family. So you could understand it. Um, so the early history part is pretty quick in the book, but I do, I do cover it. Um, and, uh, basically it starts out, you know, Italian criminal uh, groups really started in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area in like the late 1800s. And then as you move through uh, the World War One era, there are a few people who you can kind of identify as leaders of uh, mafia groups in that area. But it doesn't really become very clear until until you get to the 1920s uh, with uh, Stefano Monastero. Um, and uh, Joseph Siragusa and uh, John Bazzano Sr. And uh, what what those guys have in common is that they were all assassinated. And as is the case with a lot of uh, mafia families in the 1920s and 30s, Pittsburgh was very chaotic. And uh, there were a lot of murders. Uh, you know, I read a, an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that said that there was an estimated 200 murders during the a few year period in that time wow. in the Pittsburgh area. Um, bootleggers fighting each other. Um, one of the things that's unique about Pittsburgh, I think, is that uh, they also had to contend with groups of police and politicians that were sort of competing with them for this bootlegging revenue. Um, and yeah. I think as a result, Cosa Nostra in Pittsburgh in the early days might not have been as powerful as it was in some of the other cities where it, it crept up at that time. Um, you know, even like you think about Cleveland, um, I, th I think they were very powerful. I'm not, in, in my opinion, after looking at all the documents and that I've looked at is that it, it might not have been as powerful as, as a city like Cleveland at that time. You know, it's funny you mentioned Cleveland. Cleveland at that time had a lot of murders as well. You know, I'm sure some of the bigger cities did back then right. around, you know, Prohibition, right before Prohibition and that, that whole era. Cleveland had some crazy number of cops that were killed. Like the worst job you could have in that era was like a Cleveland cop. Wow. You know, they were getting killed left and right. But, you know, do you think when when all those guys get assassinated... Do you think that was the beginning, the you know consolidation of power, if you will? Was that was that all, you know, one party, you know, or or group that was behind all of those, or no? Uh, the Monastero killing, which was the first one, uh, I think that was just rival bootleggers in in his area. Um, the Siragusa one, there are some people who think that that was related to uh, sort of like a the national syndicate movement, you know, uh, 
where where you had Lucky Luciano versus Maranzano and all that going on. Um, Siragusa was like a mustache Pete or something. I'm not. Uh, yeah, to to a certain extent, yeah, like viewed that way anyway. And but I'm not so sure that that's true. But that is people's sense. Like I've never seen any direct evidence of that. But but as far as uh, the last one, Bazzano, that's the clearest. Uh, he. Um, basically attacked his rivals the the volt brothers um yeah. he was he was able to kill a few of them in a coffee shop in pittsburgh um they actually operated closely together but uh they had a falling out and uh this uh assassination which is kind of like uh pittsburgh's version of the saint valentine's day massacre that happened in chicago um mm-hmm. so the the remaining brothers went to the newly formed commission uh and they complained about Bazzano taking them out. And the commission agreed that uh, that Bazzano had acted uh, foolishly. And so they tricked him. They invited him to uh, supposedly a dinner in his honor. And uh, he went to Brooklyn for the dinner. Um, and, you know, uh, according to uh, sources from back then, uh, he was basically uh, attacked at that dinner by some of the bosses who were there with ice picks and that he was garroted and his body was put into a burlap sack and dropped off in a Brooklyn street. And wow. uh, it was basically a message to, to uh, Pittsburgh and probably to the smaller families really too. Like, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. your stuff in order, consult with us. When you know, you mentioned uh, the, the, the Volt brothers out. I'm a, uh, I'm an anomaly here. Well, there's there's a few of us, the Italians out here in Youngstown, but uh, I'm a New York Yankees fan, and you know I'm always rocking the Yankee fat, the the, the Yankee hat, and uh, we've got a brand new shortstop on our team, uh, a hot rookie this year named uh, Anthony Volpe, and uh, spells it the same, uh, you know, pronounces it Volpe. I don't, you know, I'm not sure you said Volpe. I'm not, you know, I don't know. If they're related at all, but man, it'd be cool. It's <laughs> a yeah. little Pittsburgh connection with the on the Yankees there, but you know, there, there's a possibility. I mean, like, uh, uh, the, like a lot of the Volt brothers survived, so I'm, I'm not sure, but they, I'm sure they had kids. Um, uh, one of them survived even into the 80s, Lou Volpe. He was still a member of the Pittsburgh Mafia that late, so wow, yeah, that's that's a name you see a lot in the FBI files, yeah, from uh, from that era, you know, anytime it mentions. When I'm when you're looking through the Mahoney Valley stuff, anytime it mentions, uh, you know Pittsburgh, that's there's the Volt brother. Those killings were yeah, mentioned there, a lot. There's a there's a few names that seem to keep coming up, uh, Youngstown related. Um, uh, of course, the Manorino brothers. Yeah. Um, you know Mike Genovese, of course. Um, then there's a few other ones that not too many people may have heard of. Al Zed uh, is another yep. one. Yep. Um, Our last guest. Uh, Emil Denzio mentioned that he was good friends with Al. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it turns out, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but Al Al ended up being an informant, wasn't he? So he was killed for being an informant, and from what I've read, okay. um, I'm I'm not quite sure if he was. It seems almost like he was, uh, like maybe a local police informant, uh. What the story that I had read is that Al Zed, who was, uh, like you said, affiliated with Manorino, um, another guy named Sonny Chiancutti, uh, who was uh, 
or Chi and Chudy. I've heard it said both ways. Um, up at New Kensington, um, he was a Jewish racketeer who uh, was very confident and uh, very very showy. It seemed, um, and it, it the story I heard is that uh, some New York guys suspected him of informing on a uh, basically a burglary or a robbery that they were going to commit. And uh, the police were there to sting those guys, and uh, they uh, talked to Paul Hankish about it, and some of the guys in Pittsburgh about it. And uh, you know, apparently, they got the okay to uh, kill Zed, and uh, he was killed uh, in Western Pennsylvania. I'm forgetting the town right now, but he was found in what was called a stump hole in a in a local paper I read, um, and he was severely beaten and shot. Uh, so they certainly thought that he was an informant, I think, but, uh, but he was killed and, uh, he like maybe the day before, maybe two days before he was actually coming out of court on a, a charge that he was, he was getting charged with. I think it was gambling or something like that. Sorry. I don't have it right in front of me, but, That's okay. but he, uh, he came, when he came out of court, a reporter was asking him questions and he said, I won't serve a day. And uh, did it, but it wasn't <laughs> the reason they thought. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so let's go. Let's let's uh, dive back into the the Rocca family. Um, sure. Give our audience a little bit of information on John LaRocca. Not too many people know that much about him. Um, I know he kind of tried to keep out of the limelight and things like that. Um, tell us what you found about him in your research. So in, in my research, I think. Uh, John LaRocco was uh, very careful, much like his successor, uh, Mike Genovese, um, and, and much much like his predecessor, actually, Frank Amato Sr. Um, those three guys were very careful. Uh, uh, LaRocco specifically, uh, I think he limited the amount of murders that occurred. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd say, like, associates were fair game under his reign. You know, it was, it was pretty hard to, to kill a made man in Pittsburgh. Generally, um, they really, uh, tried to limit that. Um, the family, as you guys are aware, I'm sure was pretty small, um, under LaRocca and under Genovese, you know, I'd say it, it basically went back and forth between 20 and 30 members and, uh, compared to, you know, places like New York or, or things like that, that's pretty small. But as far as like uh, Youngstown goes, uh, you know, there was always pr a pretty heavy contingent there. I think I think Youngstown was one of the strongest crews they had under LaRocca or Genovese. Um, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of associates that were being treated like made members, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you had uh, Ernie Biandello, uh, who's who is, you know, he, he, he acts like a made man, basically, but he was an associate. Yeah, I, I've uh, <laughs> well, a, a good friend of ours um, was able to show us quote the booth where Ernie B got promoted. So if that means yeah. <laughs> that's like you know, there's uh, Ernie B. Some people did think that he was he was made. Um, I don't believe that. I believe he was probably going to be made if he wasn't killed. Um, yeah. But you know, it, it was uh, Ernie, yeah, Ernie Biandillo is a big name. And of course, he was Joey Naples, 
you know, right hand man there for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, what can you tell us about, you know, real quick, and this I know this is not gonna be in your book, but mm-hmm. it's kind of what we're talking about here. You we we've come across some stuff, you know, you've got these different factions in Youngstown, um, and you've got like the Calabrese group there, and there's guys being, you know, guys being made in Mike Romeo's or Paul Romeo's basement, right? Out yeah. in Camel in the sixties. And it's like, you know, that that goes counter to so much of what you, you hear a lot of, you know, guys getting made a lot, right. Guys, get, they've got to, you know, they go to wherever the boss's house or, you know, Pittsburgh, or they got to go to New York or whatever they got to do to get made. You always hear guys, mm-hmm. Oh, this guy was made in Detroit or whatever. You know, it just blows my mind that we've come across the research and stuff that shows that, you know, they were bringing guys into the fold and camel and this other faction. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it just kind of blows up the, the, the general idea of, of what people think are the rules, you know, for this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I think, uh, and if I'm not, not mistaken, and I think you just mentioned it, but let me clarify, uh, that was in the 1960s and before, right? Like the stuff you were seeing. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and this is just my theory after having looked at a lot of things um, and just talking to them like you guys have too, like talking to other mafia experts. Uh, you know, there, there are so many people out there who are doing pretty in-depth research. And uh, and uh, I know that you've mentioned some of them on your show um, and there's definitely a few others that you haven't. And so when, when you, when you look at all that together, I think that uh, there was a lot more fluidity 1960s and prior uh with allegiances and with uh people getting made in different families and switching and and uh and i'm not saying that it didn't happen after then but it seems to have been a little more common and there was uh something i had a a conversation on another uh, podcast recently and it was had mentioned that uh joe sika who was an old school pittsburgh guy um who was around for decades and decades and he lived until uh, the early nineties. Um, and he, uh, was attempting to recruit Alphonse DeArco, who was the, the acting boss of Lucchese family at a certain point. Um, but before he got made in New York, um, he was related to Joe Sika. So he was trying to get him to come to Pittsburgh and get made there because he knew he was an earner and he knew that New York was kind of slow rolling, uh, his making ceremony. They weren't, making a lot of guys at the time. So Aldi Arco was getting a bit frustrated. Um, and so Sika tried to pull him over and that was something old school guys did. Like there was this kind of network, Cosa Nostra network up until the 1960s that was kind of trying to pull from different families and they would trade and, and stuff like that. You know, I, yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to say it was like a baseball team or something like that, but you know. no, no. Yeah. We, we've come across a lot of that. Yeah. From, you know, <laughs> Guys got going from Cleveland to LA and you know, everything. Yeah. There was th- these trades, as you say, they did, they did happen, you know, a lot of yeah, that as time went on, I think it became rarer. Yeah. yeah. From, from what I read too, in those times, uh, you know, if a family, if the books were supposedly closed in a family and they wanted somebody to get made, you know, they might send them to Detroit or Buffalo, you know, families yes. that had open books and, have and then they transfer back <laughs> and then they, you know, they might stay up there for six months or whatever. And then they'd come back. Yeah. yeah, 
Yes. And so I think that kind of confused a lot of people as to who was actually made, who actually wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Because you had guys going out of town to get made. And, you know, the only people that would really know that those guys were made were people in those circles. Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'll bring up uh, Henry Zodola, uh, Zebo Zodola. Um, And he he was, uh, you know, uh, kind of an overseer for Youngstown in a way, like kind of like Mike Genovese's uh, eyes and ears in Youngstown and also the cash collector. Um, and he, uh, there's a big debate uh, about whether or not he's made. I think he's made. I think he was made. I think it would be ridiculous to have him over Lenny Strollo, uh, you know, collecting cash. Uh, if, it, if yeah. or, you know, or Joey Naples. Um <clears throat> If he wasn't made, yeah. and, I believe uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Some some the the person who actually uh, worked him in in law enforcement, retired agent, FBI agent, um, does not think he was made. Uh, but I just think that by that point that they were not advertising ceremonies. Um, Mike Genovese was very worried about uh, making ceremonies after uh, nineteen eighty nine when the the Boston mob, uh, one of their ceremonies was recorded. Um, so I think they just kept it super low key and he was made, but there's, there's definitely a dispute about it. Even a guy like that, who was very powerful and who was basically, you know, in the nineties, kind of like the acting boss of the family, the street boss. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, the feds didn't, didn't know everybody who was made. That's, that's definitely a fact, you know, they didn't know it. It's like you said, numbers in different families bounce, you know, different times. And, there's, there's no way the feds know all these these guys who were made. I'm sure they know a bunch, and they they know what they're told, especially by some of these other guys as well. Right. But it's, you know, it, it is interesting. It's, uh, you know, Zebo, from what I was told, is that Zebo was really kind of uh, a player here after Joey was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of when Zebo. Yeah, because it became a bigger presence, I guess. From from some of the people that I've talked to that actually worked for my uncle Joey, um, they told me that before, you know, before Joey was killed, um, you know, Mike Genovese would they would come down here and they would meet, you know, in the back of Margie's Golden Needle on Market Street, and they'd have business meetings there. And um, there's a few other places in town that they would, you know, that they would meet. Um, and these were like big to do events because I mean these guys. You know, when they come into town, it was big business, usually large money transfers, things like that. You know, yeah, and one of our other guy, you know, mentioned to us that uh, Joey would go. It was a weekly, yeah, weekly meeting that, that he would go to pit. They would go to Pittsburgh and yeah. So, and, and, you know. And when you when you're talking about those meetings, like operational security wise, like I think that the Youngstown crew and the Pittsburgh family just generally were very good at that, like. When you think about a meeting like that, you know, I haven't seen anything in any documents about any anything like that happening at that late a date where when Mike was the boss. Uh, yeah. And and the only real inkling that I got that they were even sort of visiting there uh, was, uh, once again, that uh, former FBI agent that I was talking about. He told me that one time he was taking his family to I think it was SeaWorld or something like that in Ohio. And uh, as he was on the highway, he saw <laughs> Chucky Porter uh, driving down the highway with Mike Genovese in the passenger seat, and they got off at the <laughs> Youngstown exit. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and he called up the Youngstown uh, squad of FBI and was like, hey, Mike and Mike and Chucky are coming into town. I don't know why. But they're coming in. I passed them on the freeway. Yeah. On the freeway. <laughs> Hold on, kids. I got to pull over and use a payphone real quick. <laughs> well, and two, what's funny is, you know, uh, if you look at a lot of the FBI documents, even on Joey and things like that, you don't get much that comes out of the Youngstown area. No, most of it's no. mo most of it's either, you know, if it was something they were doing up in Cleveland, it's coming out of Cleveland or it's coming out of Pittsburgh. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have too much out of, out of Youngstown. And there was a reason for that. Um, yep. According to uh, our former congressman, Jim Traffigan. Yeah. Uh, you know, and many, many other and sources. many other sources. Uh, you know, they were Joey and them were paying the feds 25 grand a month to stay off their back. And it seemed to be working for the most part. And, under one uh, Stanley Peterson's reign well, in the FBI. And, even after that, I think well, even after that with Larry Lynch, because, you know, we've tried, we've tried to reach, you know, we've asked people, hey, should we reach out to Larry Lynch, you know, and we've gotten 16 and 17 reasons why we shouldn't, but nobody's given us one why we should. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say here, pretend to know, you know, whether or not anybody else was, was under, but I, I, I under the, you know, the bribes or the payments from the mob. But I am confident to say from all our research, you know, in the Senate testimonies, um, the the cloud of suspicion is enough over Stanley Peterson to say, I'm pretty confident, you know, Peterson was on the take. Um, and the fact that they brought him back and became chief of police here after he was uh, caught by another group of law enforcement that kind of did their own sting on Peterson, he was exposed. Um, he was transferred out of the FBI, out of out of Youngstown after 20 years. He retires shortly thereafter, and then the mob brings him back and appoints him the chief of police. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's he's he's I'm I'm confident enough to say for you know Peterson I I would you know I would uh, bet my life on it. But would you say this, Paul, that Cleveland? The, the Pittsburgh bosses weren't as scrutinized or as followed as much as, say, Licavoli was when he was boss in Cleveland. The profile was so high on them that they were they had Licavoli's daily uh, uh, routines. They, they he was being watched and monitored, and everywhere he went, every single person that walked in his house. You know, they had they were they were trailing the people that would walk into his house. They would trail them for the rest of the day. They were trailing everybody out of Cleveland there in the 70s, late 70s. You know, uh, just in, in kind of a, a lot of man hours put into tracking their every movement. I don't think that was the case in Pittsburgh with guys like Genovese and, and by that time. Do you? So uh, post uh, pre-Appalachian, uh, uh... I would agree with you, but that was pretty much all the mob because uh, uh, I don't think the American public nor even federal law enforcement were aware of how big it had actually gotten completely in a, in a complete way, a complete picture. Uh, but when the, after the Appalachian meeting happened, I get the sense that uh, in, the, in the late 50s, especially uh, the Pittsburgh office was very focused on um, the mob there. Uh, Mike, Mike Genovese for sure. Um, and I, I gave you those files 
um, they're they're lengthy. They're thousands and thousands of surveillance reports that basically say the same thing over and over again. But uh, so you have come across that same kind of scrutiny. Yeah, he would okay. very he would. It was very hard to surveil him though, uh, and Laraca too actually, because uh, they were living out in the burbs, and uh, I think I think it was hard. I think it was hard to even set up there. Uh, they for Genevieve specifically, like they had local cops kind of driving by every once in a while, and and then they would report back and say, "Oh, I saw this person going in there, this person going in there." Um, but it was it was very hard to set up on his specific house over there in like the in the woods, basically. Because um, yeah, they were they both of them had houses that were kind of out, like you know they had like yeah. larger estates that had some land and stuff to it. Not, so it was kind of easy to notice somebody sitting up down the block watching your house. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, just generally, they were super cagey. I mean, like these guys, uh, you know, Mike Genovese uh, wouldn't even meet with uh, other Dons that traveled to his territory um, in, in the 80s and then in the, you know, in the 90s too. So like it was, it was extreme caution like all the time. And with Cleveland, Cle Cleveland is like the Danny Green war, like just put too much heat, heat on them. And yeah, Pittsburgh did much. not have yeah. an equivalent of that. They had the Youngstown Carabia war, uh, the, the Naples, Naples Prado versus Carabia war, but that didn't bring as much heat. Uh, it, you know, there, there weren't really made guys getting killed in that. And, uh, and like, they worked it hard, uh, but I don't. I just don't think it was the same level as like the green, the green and Nardi and 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 yeah. Well, Cleveland too. Plus, Cleveland had all the other stuff going on with the Teamsters, and so that was drawing yeah. extra attention up there as well. And so I think yeah. that kind of was another thing that contributed to Cleveland being a little bit more overblown than say Youngstown or Pittsburgh. Yeah, Cleveland really was like if you think about it, like the first family they got taken down uh by like rico like they're really the test case like the test balloon and i and i yeah. do think that was certainly like there was a little bit of an accident there because they just started to get crazy in the 70s and then they were like prosecutors were interested in using the rico law around that time and, yeah. and it just it just coalesced and they became you know and and even angelo leonardo you know an underboss and then an acting boss flipping it was almost like the prototype for everything that happened afterwards. Because yeah. when you think about yeah. how many underbosses flipped after him uh, and acting bosses too, mm -hmm. uh, it was really like Cleveland was like the, the archetype. And I think yeah. Pittsburgh, uh, you know, John LaRocca, one of the most aggressive things that he did, we were talking about how careful he was, was give the okay to kind of move in to Youngstown for Pittsburgh. You know, he saw Cleveland becoming weak. And I think Manorino had a lot to do with that, you know. Uh, like, but if you if you look at the Angelo Leonardo testimony, you know, there was a certain point where, you know, you're you're like Laraca's aware. They met with Laraca, and he says, you know, hey, we think Charlie Carabia has to die, you know. So he was clearly aware of what was going on. That's a pretty aggressive move for him uh, to to move in on the territory like that. But they saw an opportunity because of the weakness that Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I, th I think in that particular instance, it would have been, you know, Briar Hill, Jimmy Prado 
talking to LaRocca, right, and kind of giving his point, and then LaRocca pretty much backing Prado's because there's plenty of of evidence. You know, Prado was caught on wiretap talking yeah. about, uh, you know, getting rid of Charlie and and uh, for yeah. even decades before he was. Yeah, <laughs> he, he said he talked too much in, uh, you know, in the nineteen nineteen sixties. Sixties, yeah. Um. So yep. you know, I they, they there was no love loss there. They were, I. I trying to get rid of Charlie Crabia for a while. You know, Prado was a thorn in Prado's side. Yeah, and I'm I sure think that... you're right. I think Prado was – Prado and Naples were probably talking to Manorino. Manorino was talking to LaRocca, you know, and and at a certain point, like, you know, they're, they're, they're still re- very respectful of Cleveland. That's the amazing thing about that fight, right? Like, it never escalated to the point where it, like, became where you're, where you're killing made guys. Like I, I don't think the Carabias were going to go after Prado himself or anything like that. Like, unless you guys have seen something, I'd find that very interesting. But uh, well, at the time Naples was not, 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 yeah, not Prado, Joey. They were, they were, they were, yeah. they did want to get rid of Joey. They, and you know, I maybe, maybe they did mention Jimmy. Um, this was after Charlie Crabby was killed. It was kind of the order, um, you know, came down from from Ronnie's in jail and going to prison, but um. Yeah, you know, let me ask you this. I'm going to pivot a little bit here. Uh, you talked a, a, a bit about the Pittsburgh bosses living out in the sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of hunting. Isn't that right? Like, what can you tell us about the uh, the hunting club that they had here? You don't often hear about, you know, uh, mob bosses being big hunters. So, you know, as a growing up yeah. in Youngstown, I'm, I like to, I always joke that, you know, my great, my, my great grandfather was a, off the boat, became a coal miner in, in West Virginia, and eventually family moved to Youngstown. We were like the hillbilly Italians. We hunted, we, you know, did a lot of fish hunting and fishing and stuff. So it was kind of cool to see like, you know, these pictures of these guys, Charlie Murgy and uh and Genovese and these other guys, like in this hunting, you know, they would always do these hunting trips. What can you, what can you tell me about that? So uh I'm gonna have to keep it uh kind of vague. So and I'll tell you why. Uh, so I do have, uh, I have spoken to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, a source, uh, who has great knowledge of that. And I appreciate hearing that person's stories, but he also said, you know, those stories are my stories and, uh, I'm the one who tells them. So I have to keep it, uh, respect him and, 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 uh, keep it at that. But as far as the stuff that was in the documents and the stuff generally that I've, that I've heard from, not from that source. Um, so they did have a hunting camp, uh, up in Tianesta and Mike Genovese, uh, loved to, to hunt, um, and, uh, Pecora and, uh, basically the, the hierarchy of the family, um, Pecora was the underboss, uh, Mike Genovese, uh, was obviously high up and then became the boss eventually. Um, and then, uh, Charlie and Bergia, who was the, uh, consigliere, um, at least at, at some point, um, uh, those guys love to hunt. And like, it, I'm from Western Pennsylvania originally. I live in Maryland now, but, uh, my father loved to hunt. My relatives love to hunt. Um, I'm not really a hunter, but that Western Pennsylvania hunting tradition is strong. And yeah. like the Pittsburgh family can sometimes seem like an alien institution because it was so secretive and separate from everything. But yeah when you talk about hunting, like it reminds you, these guys were actually just Western, Western Pennsylvanians, you know, and, 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 and Eastern Ohioans as well. Uh, yeah. And uh, 
you know, they loved that tradition. And uh, there are some vague references to them having uh, business meetings up there, too. Uh, but I don't have anything more specific mm. than that. Uh, but, well, you, but, you know, you see ahead. people, uh, mob bosses, you know, taking these like extravagant vacations and stuff like that. You know, if you look at the New York guys and, and these guys are just going hunting. So it's, yeah. it's very Western. Yeah. It's very Western Pennsylvania. Do you know what they hunted? Was it like white-tailed deer? What are they? What are they hunting? Yeah, deer is what the the yeah. main thing was for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Tell your source, and I don't know if they watch the show at all, but you know, hey, we respect that. If they if they do want to share that story, we'll love to hear it from their mouth. You know, Paul, bring them back on. We'll come on. We'll do another guest spot. But uh, you know, we'd love to hear some hunting stories. Absolutely, that'd, that'd be I'll, fantastic. I'll, I'll let them know. Great. great. Thank you. Uh, let's let's touch on a, a there's a couple things I want to talk to you about um, that I found pretty interesting. Um, let's talk about Paul Hankish for a minute. Sure. Um, so my father um, used to hang out with his son, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, my dad would always be going down to Pittsburgh and West Virginia, and he'd hang out with uh, Chris, uh, another guy by the name of uh, Ricky Galtieri, who was I believe he was in the Boilermaker Union down there, um, and a few other guys, um, Junior Williams. Okay. Um, Those those are just some of the names I remember. Um, But, yeah, so – and Joey was also godfather to uh, Paul's son, Chris. Yep. Um, So tell us a little bit about Paul. Yeah, so Paul Hankish, um, and uh, hopefully I'm not repeating repeating anything you guys have had him before, but I I love – this character like he's one of the most interesting people uh in the pittsburgh mob orbit um he was uh definitely associate um he came up in the 1960s late 50s 60s um in wheeling west virginia uh started out as just a a gambler a low-level gambler he would do low-level mickey mouse scores uh like robbing a grocery store i saw one of them um but he, he started to become more uh aggressive in the underworld down there and uh he was uh another interesting thing about him is his parents were from lebanon um so he was a lebanese um and uh his uh sort of the crime boss in wheeling at the time was a guy named big bill elias um and he had been around since uh you know the probate the prohibition days a very experienced uh racketeer uh who controlled wheeling uh uh, pretty tightly at that time. Uh, but Big Bill Elias noticed that Hankish was starting to move in the, in the, in ga- illegal gambling circles uh, without his permission. And so he decided to kill him. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was like 1964. So like early mid sixties, um, their rivalry comes to a head and uh, Hankish is walking out of his uh, suburban house um, and he gets in his car and he starts it and uh, it explodes. Um, a terrific explosion uh, rattles the windows on the street. Uh, it, they're wheeling. And uh, the, the car is on fire. Uh, Hankish is lives through it, actually. He's screaming for his life. Uh, people, people are obviously rushing over and the police arrive. Uh, emergency services arrive. Um, and uh, he's screaming, get me out of here, get me out of here. And uh, they're able to extract him. Um, his one of his legs is blown off completely. The other one is still partially attached, just barely. 
um, and they have to uh, amputate it in the hospital. Now, some people say that he actually uh, uh, said, hey, it's Big Bill Elias that did this to me and that sort of the delirium after the explosion. And so the police, uh, you know, talked about that at like a press conference, basically in public. And when it, that got back to him, he immediately had his lawyer say, hey, I didn't say anything. And this is from his hospital bed. Uh, so even if he did say it, he he still clearly wanted to be in the rackets and he corrected that immediately. Uh, yeah. And so after after that happened, uh, Big Bill was uh, old news um, and Hankish clamped down on the city despite his injuries. You know, when we think of gangsters, we don't think of somebody who has such a severe uh, incident and severe handicap, you know, because you have to beat people up and all that sort of thing. But Hankish was able to not only survive, but thrive. And uh, he actually put out a hit on Big Bill Elias. He had two guys from New York sit outside his house. Uh, but uh, Elias was uh, basically aware of what was going on. He never came out. So the hit was called off. But uh, but the damage was done. Uh, Elias died in 1970, and Hankish was the king of Wheeling after that. Um, and he had connections all over the place. He had connections, as you mentioned, to Youngstown, Joey Naples. Um, he had uh, connections to Manorino up in New Kensington. Um, he uh, was obviously directly connected to the Pittsburgh family, so he was paying up profits, a piece of his profits to uh, Bacora. Uh, later, later on, Chucky Porter, and then eventually Zatola as well. Um, and uh, he also had connections to Sam the Plumber to Cavalcante in North Jersey. Um, Gambino family. Uh, uh, those were Gambino-connected guys that actually tried to help him kill Elias. Um, so he was, I mean, for a guy from a, a fairly small town, I mean, when you think about it, Wheeling, you know, the population is in the tens of thousands of people. Uh, smaller than Youngstown, I'd say, at its height, for sure. Uh, yeah, when I hear every time I hear Willing, I think about going down to the dog track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, mm -hmm. and and and, the, and it's like it has this crazy huge underworld that has connections all over the place, and that's what's so interesting about Paul. Yeah, well, you know, there's the joke was you know anytime you wanted to see a, get together with a bunch of people from Youngstown, you just go down to Mountaineer. You know, that was before the casinos came here into mm -hmm. to the area. The gambling, the love of gambling still lives strong in this area. And uh, yeah. and you'd see more Ohio plates, you know, in those West Virginia casinos than you would any any other cars. Yeah. Uh, and I, I always thought, you know, Pittsburgh, by the, you know, the end of the of the century there, Pittsburgh controls eastern Ohio. They're, they're controlling western Pennsylvania. They're controlling West Virginia. You know, that's a lot of power. I mean, you know, when you look at all that yep. combined, it's, it's kind of surprising, I think, to, uh, you know, because like you mentioned, you know, Pittsburgh never gets any big notoriety and they're, they're you know, very low key. Yes. And and like when you think about uh, that large territory um, and, and this is one of the major themes of the book is that, uh, you know, LaRocca, as powerful as he was, as he started to age in the in the late 70s early 80s you know he also started to slow down and like several law enforcement documents and and you know the people who actually work those cases agree too like 
he, you know, he wasn't interested in making people anymore. He wasn't, you know, he might have not been that uh, force that he was in the in the early, earlier decades. But uh, when Mike Genovese took over, he wanted to cor- correct what he saw as like people starting to think of the Pittsburgh family as too old and 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 you know not worthy of respect anymore. Um, and he, you know, instituted that street tax on that whole territory that you just talked about, West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Um, and you know, had his guys actually out there uh you know cracking some heads basically and and making the bookies pay up oh yeah you know uh, I, I i talked to i talked to uh you know a widow of a, of a bookie here that was killed in youngstown and and you know whenever i brought up joey's name it was all you know joey they were his guys were coming around asking for you know to kick in when you know say under ronnie or whoever they weren't doing that you know so mm-hmm. yeah it's that the evidence of that people got to start kicking in got to collect right yep yep and and if you if you had heard about uh uh uh, the sort of beef that 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 the pittsburgh family had with uh nicodemo scarfo Mm -hmm. uh yeah so like that was a side effect of the street tax right so like you know they're trying to tax somebody who's actually blood related to him uh well through marriage related to him and uh and that guy was able to reach out and get help from scarfo on that but it shows that the tax was not something that people were just talking about. It was Scarfo you know, from Philadelphia, right? From Philadelphia. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. It, it's just, you know, we try to bring it back to, you know, in case you're watching this and you're not, you don't have all these, these years of research, you know? So sometimes yeah. we know we can lose people in the weeds, right? Yeah. You know? So, you know, if, if you're wondering about the guy we were talking about there in, in uh, West Virginia, once again, that was uh, Paul No Legs Hankish. Um, and, you know, some of these characters, is is uh i imagine they'll read about paul in your book as well yes absolutely there's a chapter on wheeling so real quick tell folks again where they can find the book uh what it's called go you know give me the give a give them the pitch go ahead okay sure it's uh steel city mafia uh blood betrayal and pittsburgh's last dawn and it's coming out on april 17th of this year uh so just uh just a few days and uh it's gonna be uh a book uh, that's going to give you the Pittsburgh Mafia A to Z, and it's really the first book to do that. Um, uh, you'll see how all these different towns we've been talking about are interconnected, and uh, it's an exciting story. I mean, this is a story that you know could be worthy of a show or a movie, really. And like, I don't think a lot of people understand uh, understand that and understand that you know you had your own little Sopranos drama going on right in your backyard, um, and it's it's. Youngstown is fairly well known, but, you know, for those people who live in West Virginia and, uh, and Altoona and Johnstown and, uh, you know, up in Erie and, and Pittsburgh, you know, it was going on in those places too. And, uh, Youngstown definitely has a lot of the dramatic stories. Like it's, uh, I mean, the stories there are so good. I mean, you, you guys, <laughs> it's just good, but, uh, the other towns have their murders and they have their, uh, their, uh, their rackets and their beatdowns too. Well, it's good that uh, you wrote the book because we need more people to write these books, right? We need absolutely the more research you can tell from cities that haven't had their stories told, you know, Youngstown, yes. we, we do that a lot every week, but you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, and if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube again, uh, there's also a Pittsburgh mob group 
in Facebook. Yes. Uh, you should join that as well. Um, there's a Cleveland group. You know, there's there's all kinds of groups on there. We we kind of manage the uh, the Youngstown and the Pittsburgh groups. So you know, please definitely join that group if you want to know more. Pick up Paul's book. Um, I just have one more question I want to get to real quick. Sure. Which is you know Pittsburgh's last dawn, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Lenny Strollo a little bit. And, that, and and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, is that who you consider? Pittsburgh's last dawn, Lenny Strollo? Uh, no, no. For me, it's uh, Mike Genovese. Um, uh, okay. So he, after he died, um, from what I understand from talking to people, the structure of the, the the Pittsburgh mafia kind of just melted away. There were still made guys hanging around. Um, uh, and, and some people say that uh, – that, uh, John Bozzano Jr. might have taken a, a sort of a, a leading role at that point, but he only lived until 2008 too. Um, so it was just sort of a uh, a bunch of made guys still still doing the illegal gambling stuff, still probably a few other scams too. But uh, it was after Mike, it was kind of a not as coherent of a unit. Have Have you ever been to the Mob Museum out in Las Vegas? No, but I. But I definitely want to visit uh, that. I, I've so actually there's, never been to Las Vegas. So, oh wow, you definitely got to go. <laughs> but no, there there's a um, there's a display they have, um, that's kind of like a seat at the table. I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. and it has every big city and every small city. Uh, they have they have them listed on plates up there. So even Youngstown's got its own plate, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's this interactive display that you can. You can go to and it shows the plates and and it doesn't go into a Youngstown one, but it, it does talk about Pittsburgh. And in it, this is why I I, I said Lenny Strollo, the Pittsburgh's last dawn. Mm-hmm. In this plate in the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, it actually says that Lenny was the last boss of Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I swear this is on there. And and I I brought it up in a previous episode because it's the first time I'd ever heard that, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know where they got that information from, but I don't know if they just meant by the last surviving, you know, uh, uh, because he survived all the way up until 2021. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the last, uh, I, I, I think that he was survived. So one, I wouldn't count him as a member anymore because, because he became a government witness, but, uh, the last member is that, is that automatic? Ended. Take your card away. <laughs> I think so. Is that how it works? Uh, the last uh, member uh, who who also died in 2021, uh, alleged member, was uh, Thomas Sonny Chi and Chudi Chi and Cuddy, um, and uh, and he was the last one that we're aware of, anyway. So yeah, um, as as you were saying, they, uh, you know, made, there's, unmade, a, there's a name a little bit crazy sometimes. There's a name as well that we've heard uh, made some stops in Youngstown as recently as this 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 decade, this uh, a couple of years ago, right before you know. So, you know, we've <laughs> we got a lot of people here that uh, are on our sources and sides that'll, you know, that are close to the inner sanctum there in Pittsburgh. But uh, they're you know they're... They'd, they'd they'd come out for they'd come out for uh, you know some you know, a wedding and you know things of that nature. They'd come to Youngstown still so. We hear there, we hear the stories all the time. There's a 2017 FBI document that I found just online, and uh, it was talking about some kind of 
city work contract scam that was going on allegedly. And uh and they refer in code to supposedly Sonny Chi and Chudy, but and and then the document goes on to refer to him as the head of the Pittsburgh LCN, but I do not include him as like the last boss, uh, because if you're the only made guy left, I don't know if I don't know if that counts, man. <laughs> that's that's what Lenny said. That's what Lenny Sherlow said on the stand when he was testifying in, in Youngstown. They said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. The 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 question was the effect of, you know, you're the boss, right? You're the boss now, and he and he says something to the effect of the boss of what? Yeah, you know, he says there's nothing left. That's what he. It's what he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, it's interesting, but you know, I, I, I'm definitely, you know, gonna gonna get a copy of that book when it first comes out because, you know, there's a huge Youngstown connection. If you're watching this and you're you're in the Youngstown mob group, you're gonna want to get this book. I mean, there's just nothing else else out there really published on Pittsburgh like that. What do you think, Jim? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I I gotta I gotta ask you this. So, you know. There's theories and all these different innuendos about who killed Joey Naples, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody thinks it was uh, the guest of our last episode, Emil Denzio. <laughs> um, yeah. Am I inclined to believe that? Yeah. Um, do I have any definitive proof? No. All the evidence is circumstantial, right? Yeah. By the way, you mm-hmm. you were very calm in that in that interview. I didn't know, you know, I didn't uh, look over and didn't know what to expect. I was like, oh, uh, you know what they say business never personal there you go yeah yeah but uh what are your thoughts so i call uh i call that the independent operator theory like the 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 person you were just referring to um and it's hard for me to accept uh that somebody would just kill a made guy without getting ordered to do it however it's the only one it's the only theory that makes sense like i in any other family i I, i'm not sure that this is how it would play out um and and i'll give you an example uh from actually from something that i heard on crooked city which i loved uh the (laughs) podcast that johnny did uh so when Mark Bacho starts talking about uh, the Lawrence Sisman murder and how he would hear the the Dillo crew talking about Sisman and complaining about him a lot and being like, man, you know, you know, sort of an offhand comments like, I wish you'll whack that guy, you know, or whatever. And he sort of takes that in and then, and then there's, uh, you know, uh, that personal reason for not liking Sisman. Uh, you know, he gets fired from his job at Palace in the Pines. Um, mm-hmm. And then he goes and he, he takes him out and clearly it was done without permission. And, and people in that crew were angry about it, but Ernie B and Dillo kind of said, Hey guys, simmer down, you know, Bacho's going to be, you're not going to hurt Bacho. Bacho's fine. Um, and, and I think Mark Bacho is really obviously appreciative of that, but that was kind of like what happened, what people say happened with Naples too. Like, you know, this Strollo's complaining about him and, you know, I guess, and, uh, and, and you've got, uh, this person that's hanging around them and then he takes, takes action in order to get in with, uh, Lenny. And it's just, it's just so many orders of magnitude worse when it's a made guy though. Like, like, like I said before in the mob, people brush off the murders of associates, but for someone like right. Nathan, 
who was not only made but also a ridiculous legend like in the underworld there like i mean he was like you you can't match the reputation that that guy had in the underworld just can't it, it, yeah it's shocking that uh, there you haven't seen the hollywood movie yet yeah exactly like i mean to to me you know like like when you're talking about a guy like henry hill and i know that back when that movie was made there weren't a lot of informants to sort of write about uh you know, like, or stories, you know, from the mob, like there are many more mob stories now because so many people have talked and you have so much more rich stories. But like when you compare the people in that movie to somebody like Naples, I mean, like, there's just no comparison. Like uh, they, yeah. they were mostly associates in that movie. And, and this guy just, I mean, just the amount of stories, is just crazy. Absolutely. You know, I, I'll say this in the research that we've done, um, there is an FBI affidavit uh, that was released when Lenny Strollo's indictment came out and his crew's indictment came out. So this would have been 98. That had uh, a person from Pittsburgh that had told the FBI that they were given the contract to kill Joey along with the Dinzio brothers by Bernie Altshuler, Bernie the Jew. Um, this is this this is an affidavit that, like I said, this was released by the FBI um, in 98. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has always been, in my opinion, the leading theory. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Dinzio is very close with, with, uh, with Bernie. Even in our interview, Amos still had good things to say about Bernie. Had not so good things to say about Lenny, but good things to say about Bernie. Um, and so, you know that that I think was a leading theory in my opinion. But uh, and, and I, I still I've grappled with the well, did it come from Lenny or did it not come from Lenny? And ultimately, I think it did. I, I really do think it did because if it came through Bernie, it would have come through Lenny. Um, but you know, it's one of those it's one of those mysteries right there. So. And I, I've even, I talked to uh, another gentleman that's done a bunch of research and he told me that the order came from Chucky Porter, that I guess Porter yeah. was, there was supposedly some wiretap or something where Porter was complaining about Joey building that big house that he was building up in Beaver Township. And, mm -hmm. you know, he was bringing too much attention and everything going on with Lenny and this and that. And I heard that Porter was the one that ordered it, but who knows? I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, counter my argument and say this i don't think that could be possible to say in 1991 that joey's bringing too much heat compared to the last 30 you know 60 60 years 30 yeah. years of his life i mean the, the right. amount of heat that he was bringing in 91 was not at his heyday uh yeah you know, the one thing that, that, that crazy the one thing that i'll say about that is that uh like with Chucky, uh, by the time Joey was killed, Chucky had been in prison for uh, over a year. Now, that's not to say you can't kill somebody from prison, but it's yeah. happened before, obviously. But well, uh, he was in a halfway house, right? So, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, in, right after Naples was killed, is when Chucky started to uh, Chucky Porter started to inform. Um, he started in 1992. Uh, talking to the Pittsburgh office uh, about 
not about historical things. So like, not, not about, you know, I, I don't think it was part of his uh, cooperation agreement to be like, this is who killed Joey Naples, or this is who did that, or this is who in the past. Right. It was more like, what is going on right now? Who are they trying to kill right now? And he ended up saving uh, six lives, according to the court. Uh, the court I always I always laugh at that story because isn't isn't it one of the lives or at least one of the lives that he saved was, you know, somebody that he was gonna kill, right? His guys were wasn't that like uh, so was there was there was uh, yeah it was it, it was literally the person who was who testified against him in his trial. So yeah. I get I yeah, get so they got word to him that hey we're gonna take care of this guy, and uh, and and you know he was like supposedly going to come visit family in pittsburgh and they were going to get him um, which is and, but i always laugh at that because it's like come on that was a hit that chuck porter could have called off you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like to say that he saved him by rat you know by informing i always laughed at that but po I don't possibly know. like i see that's <laughs> the thing about this mob stuff like you always there's so many different stories and you kind of have to pick like the most plausible one yeah. and it's it's easy to go with court because that's when People, you know, they face consequences if they lie, right? Like you have to go, you go to prison. Um, I'm telling but, you, I'm I'm I'm, re I'm researching stuff right now, Paul, and I'm working actively on some things where I don't even just because they got convicted of something. I, I know that it's it's not always uh, the truth, you know. So there's there's it's crazy some 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 of these uh, these, these true crime cases out there. True, true crime um, is unfortunately. Hard. <laughs> oh sure. man, it's it's hard. It, it it really is. It really is. So let me ask you this. Uh, there was a guy's name that was mentioned uh, that we talked about. Lou Mosca. Is it Mosca? Mosco. Yeah. yeah. Mos Mosca. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. From uh, he, he was supposedly an associate to Pittsburgh. He's named in the uh, the one of the last Pittsburgh Crime Commission reports. OK. So and they said that he he had may have had some involvement in Joey's killing. Yeah, he was he was in that affidavit. He was listed as the one saying that he got he he and the Dinzios got the contract from Bernie Altshuler. So, I I have heard that fact pattern before, or you know, theory pattern, whatever you want to say. But I don't know much about Lou Musk. I do not. I'll be honest okay. with you. Yeah, because uh, I know I know some of the stories I heard went back to, of course, uh, the one guy that we talked about, uh, Joe Sika. Mm -hmm. um, there were some connections back going to him that they had gone and talked to him instead of going talk going and talking to Michael Genovese and you know that you hear all these theories you know mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of like trying to look through a needle in a haystack and figure out which one makes the most sense you know which one kind of has a little bit of information even if it's circumstantial to back it up yeah you know yeah um, and like it, the the one that the one that makes uh. Because the the reason that I kind of believe the Lenny wasn't involved is because Lenny copped to so many murder conspiracies that why would he be afraid of one more? Because he, he copped to the Carabio. Because one. he lived here for the last twenty years. Yeah, and, no, and, that but, could, and that could be too. Maybe he just didn't cop to that one because he knew that part of his deal he was going to be able to come back and live here. Whereas if he cops to having Joey killed, can he really come back and live here? I mean, Pretty there's going to be people that are going to want to take him out for all intents and purposes. Yeah, you know, as, as as I don't know if Ernie held that weight, you know. 
Right. Or and also they had him on the Ernie thing. Right. You know, they didn't have him on say Joey. Yeah, because yeah. like everything that everything now here's the funny thing. So if you bring up if you bring up the Joey killing to Emil Denzio and mm-hmm. and and um what he'll tell you is that his brother's place was never searched like the FBI says it was. Mm. Um, the FBI says that they found these these rubber um, joy foot boot covers, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I that heard supposed- that. Yep. That supposedly matched the pattern, right? That yeah. They found a whole whole box of these things in, his, in, in the closet in the house when they did the search, right? Mm. Um, Amos say none of that ever happened. The mm. FBI never came and searched the houses. Um, so what do you believe, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's true so, crime in a nutshell. What do you believe? <laughs> yeah. the, the one, the one thing I will say is that see, it seems like, and unfortunately I never got to talk to him directly, but, uh, but there is so much out there that he says is that I view Bob Croner as a, as a great source. Like he seems like a pretty straight shooter. Um, and I don't know if the totes rubber stuff came from, from him, but, but uh, he seems like yeah yeah a, it did a, on Crooked City and like yeah. uh, like the guy I was talking to in Pittsburgh uh, the agent there um, who worked a ton of those cases over like twenty years um, he uh, said that Bob was like the best partner to have in Youngstown um, yeah and you know and and I've always talked to about anytime we we mentioned the FBI and you know whether they were crooked or corrupt. You know, I def like I said, definitely believe Stanley Peterson was, but it coincides like that. Yeah. The next era, Bob Croner comes in as the next wave of agents, mm-hmm. and I don't think his time with Peterson even overlapped. We mentioned Larry Lynch; they that those were the right the overlapping. Um, but yeah, I've always believed Bob to be straight arrow, and yeah, I believe yeah. the stories. You know, I believe when Lenny went to his father's, sent people to his father's house to try to see if they could corrupt him. You know, get what could they get on Bob? And even the father was like, Bob, Bob's his own man. He won't, Yeah, you can't get, you know, you can't make him do that. So I believe Bob, you know, it was a, was a straight arrowed FBI agent. I don't believe he was ever corrupt or crooked. You know, some mm-hmm. people might disagree, but I, that's just my own personal belief. Having met him, having, you know, we were on a, a stage at the Youngstown uh, playhouse a couple of years back. We did a, a whole thing out there together. Um, and yeah, that's just my personal opinion. And yeah, you know, I don't I don't think there was anything there. Um, but yeah, I, I think he was a straight, straight edge cop. And, and I think it's amazing FBI. that uh you had uh a straight shooter like that at the same time as you had uh Paul Gaines, you know, there too. Like like that's one of the amazing things about the Youngstown story too, is like how how all these things came together at the end and kind of like the, Yeah. Well it. there were there there were uh you go you go back to the 40s every now and then there's there's a few guys that you know buck the the trend and they don't they don't uh you know they go against the grain in youngstown and they don't take the mob's money you go back to henderson charles henderson becomes a mayor and his whole campaign was smash rackets rule for once they were even in the middle of the 40s they were they were going to clean up the mob Mm-hmm. And then they bring in, uh, he asks the FBI, he asks J. Edgar Hoover to personally recommend a police chief. And they bring in Eddie Allen, who was that incorruptible, straight-edged, you know, uh, uh, a cop. So the history has these guys in Youngstown every now and then. You know, every 
seems mm-hmm. like they were there from the 40s and part of the 50s until public public perception got tired of that and they wanted they wanted things to be wide open again so they voted henderson out right uh you know and then you fast forward to the 70s late 70s bob croner comes in and the the 90s and paul Gaines. so yeah you do have different points in history you know uh a few people to step out of you know the uh the shadows and say hey you know this this stuff's going on here we're not gonna put up with it but you know well and two part of part of the problem is uh that you have of why the you know the youngstown and pittsburgh factions don't exist today is because uh you know like you said you know they with LaRocca, he kind of closed the books they really didn't make too many new guys mm-hmm. um you know and, and i think part of that was is you know at that time they didn't actually know who they could trust to even make yes right? yes absolutely uh so, yep. so that kind of falls into it and same with youngstown um i'm sure there was guys that joey would have loved to made have made you know Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Pittsburgh kind of saw as well that, you know, you have Lenny bringing all these guys in that are not Italian. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that kind of worried Pittsburgh a little bit as well as why they didn't make any more guys after, you know, Joey and Lenny really, yeah, um, and if- they may have made one or two here and there, but there was no refilling of the ranks, so to speak. If you want to hear my theory on that, it's, it's, it, jives with what you're saying to to a point like uh i think after the 1990 trial uh when you know uh J- joey rosa who was a, a one of their major drug uh drug pipelines uh flipped and uh and then you know in 2000 they learned that chucky porter flipped and then of course in 98 strollo does uh 98-99 um after all that happened, I think that uh, that, and this is just my opinion. It's an educated opinion, but it's my opinion. Is that the boss basically was like this family? I'm I'm putting a hit out on this family. Basically, it's just going to die off of old age. Um, and uh, it was reported back in the '70s when he went to prison for like six months, uh, Mike Genovese for uh, not testifying at a grand jury. Um, that that he basically said to his associates, I'm never going back to prison again. Um, and I think that, you know, in order to stick to that promise and to uh, be with his family, really, um, he he had that, that you know, the, the example of Licavoli and a bunch of other guys right in front of him, right? Um, like after, after, especially after Chucky and Rosa and, and Strollo, it was like, all right, this, this thing is going to end. It's over. Um, and you know, no, there obviously, was, there's, was, no, there, obviously there's, no, there's no document that says that, but that's the sense right. I get from reading everything. And I, I got a little bit of sense of that too from for read uh, those documents that you had sent me um, on Michael. I kind of got that feeling too. I'm um, just kind of perusing through them and reading, you know, different chapters in 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 his life. Yep. Um, that he that he got that way, you know, towards the end. It was more, especially the way he insulated himself from from other people and, and, and and the secrets, the steps he took to keep everything as secret as he, as he could, you know? Yep. Um, so I definitely agree with that. All right. Well, I tell you what, we've, uh, we've gone over our, our usual time limit here. We've pretty nice long episode. We appreciate your time, Paul. And, um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, stickler with hard copies of books. So I've, I kind of, I checked out, you sent me a, you sent us a, 
on a good ebook there and i checked it a little about but i've been waiting because i just love mm-hmm. to have that book in my hand so you know the book again comes out april 17th is that correct april 17th uh steel city mafia blood betrayal and pittsburgh's last dawn where do you prefer people buy it from so uh I, w- I would say go to Arcadia Publishing's uh, website. Uh, that's where you're going to get uh, the best deal. Obviously, I uh, I don't mind that uh, you know if people have you know their Amazon account or whatever, um, it's going to be on every major uh, bookseller, Barnes Noble, Amazon, and and many many nice. others. Well, I'll tell you um, so- what, maybe we, uh, Jim. What do you think? Maybe we bring Paul in. And we uh, we set up some kind of an event here with them to, uh, you know, talk about do we're, we're trying to plan a lecture series right now, too. Okay. So we're looking to do some dates around, you know, summer and fall of this year. Uh, yeah, we'd love to bring you in and, and have you maybe just have a whole event around you and see, you know, get get uh, bring a, bring a lot of books because people in Youngstown <laughs> love this stuff. They love the history of it. They yeah. buy the books. Um so again, that's we're so happy to, to to see somebody publishing a book on the on the Pittsburgh family. Absolutely, you know it's it's really great. So, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming. We'll we'll have you on the show again, or we'll we'll plan an event, and we'll keep the people posted. Uh, anything else you want to you know? How how do people reach out to you? So uh, I'd say the easiest way is um, you could you could just reach out to me on Facebook, uh, Paul Hodos H O D O S. Um, I also have uh, an email, paulhodos at gmail.com. Very, very easy. Just my name at Gmail. No spaces. Um, so if you have any questions or you want to ask me for, you know, like a, a signed copy, I don't have a ton of copies at home right now. I just got my advanced ones um, and I'm excited. They look great. Um, and I'm very excited if I would get to come up and see you guys in person. That would be great. So. That'd, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Paul, thank you again. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us. Um, we just love hearing the stories. We could probably sit here for another four hours and talk about this <laughs> stuff and just, you know. Me too. I, I mean, that's just how it is, you know. Yep. Uh, you go? Did you go down a lot of rabbit holes in your research? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, when you're <laughs> writing a book, uh, like, you got to cut out so much stuff, and it would it pains me to do it. But uh, yeah. But in mafia books – one of the big complaints is always there's too many names. I tried to keep the, tried to keep the names down to a certain extent. So it's very readable. Right. Johnny, what do they always tell us? The guys that get mad is the guys whose names don't get mentioned in the book, right? That's right. That's, <laughs> or, or the movie or the book. Yeah. Right. That's, we've been told that many times. So yeah. Yep. <laughs> Thanks again, Paul. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, make sure you guys get out there and get his book. It's going to be fantastic. Um, Johnny, do you have anything else for today? No, that was a good show. We, you know, we like to do these, you know, some guests. And in the last couple of weeks now, this is two two guest shows in a row. Um, we're mixing it up for you guys. Like I said, we're we got a big show we're planning, live show at the end of this year. We can't wait to share the details. The mob app, the mob tour app is coming out this summer. Um, you know, we've got Jim's wearing, you know, I see an amazing podcast logo. That's awesome. Yeah. But we've got the uh the Steel Valley Syndicate. Um website you can get some merchandise you know get a nice shirt uh check that out we got a link up here for you we'll put it in the uh in the post as well you know so much stuff we're working on guys trying to bring you a lecture series right now as i mentioned with paul um where we maybe can bring in some authors or you know we'll, we'll tackle a certain subject so keep an eye out for that um you know we really appreciate all your support 
And we do this for you guys, you know, the mob associates out there. Absolutely. You know, everybody's interested in this stuff. We're all historians here to some degree. So, you know, we really do appreciate uh, uh, the audience. The biggest thing you can do for us right now is give this video a like, uh, share and subscribe. When I say share, I mean, send it to, you know, your family and your friends and say, hey, have you seen this show? Check it out, you know, because that really helps us, you know, get the word of mouth out there. And um, we really do hope, you know, people from the whole Mahoning Valley can uh, can kind of latch on and, and learn, you know, some some history with these videos that we do. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's that's what it's about. It's about educating people to the history and the influences of, you know, of these gentlemen and what they brought to the table. Um, because regardless of them being criminals, right, all that money that they made, a lot of it got spent in those communities. And propped up, propped up a lot of those communities for a long time, too, as well. So, so again, check it out. Steel City Mafia. It's a new book, April 17th. It'll be out. And, um, yeah, that'll, I think that does it for us. Yeah. Got to thank those sponsors because, you know, again, without them, we cannot do these shows. Yeah, we want to thank our sponsors, Cut and Toast, uh, 160 Lovell Road in Struthers, Ohio. If you're looking for a great cigar, go out and see the guys at Cut and Toast. They will hook you up. I can't wait till we go back there for another show. I always enjoy the cigars. And our other sponsor? Youngstown Tile. Of course, if you're uh, if you're looking for good flooring, spectacular flooring, you know, you want to find somewhere local. You know, there's no place better than Youngstown Tile. So go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. We thank them so much. And uh, that, that does it for this week's episode of Youngstown Mob Talk. For Jimmy Naples, I'm Johnny Ciccatelli. Our special guest this week, uh, Paul Hodos. Thank you very much, everybody. Ciao. That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. To watch with video, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash amazingpodcastcompany. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review. It goes a long way in helping other people find our amazing content. For more, visit our website at www.amazingpodco.com.